0: Radioinfluence.com. The future is now. Hey, guys. Welcome into the Place for My Head podcast. He is Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Tuck. Brandon, what's going on, brother? How's your week been?
1: Ooh, good. Slow, slow, slow. That was Actually. Con-
0: that. That was say that was convincing. Is everything all right? Well-
1: uh, everything's good, man. It's just uh, you know, uh, COVID spikes. You know, going up and down, and uh, businesses around me—they open up, then they close, and you know, stuff's available, then it's not. And all my all the stuff for the shop is coming in slowly. But you know, these are good problems. You know, I, so I can't really complain too much.
0: I would say if if nobody's been watching, the state of Florida has been spiking new records every day with the whole COVID. Yeah, every thing. day, it's been yeah. it's been it, insane. Do you Uh, find
1: it weird that they're reporting all the cases that are new, but they've they've since stopped everything about sending out the number of deaths? uh, You know,
0: I've told you before with the autoimmune stuff that I deal with, I'm keeping a close eye on this and it's gotten to the point to where I don't know up from down or what to believe anymore. So uh, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. But. Uh, yeah. You know, that that's a conversation for for another show, because right now we've got somebody pretty awesome on the line. Uh, you know, we're, we're joined today by a gentleman, a pro wrestler by the name of Aaron Stevens. A lot of you guys are going to be familiar with him from his time in the WWE. Uh, he's the artist formerly known as Damian Sandow. Uh, Aaron, welcome to the show, man.
2: Hey, thank you very much for having me. I
0: am so excited to talk to you today because uh, yeah, I'm a lifelong wrestling fan. I'm so familiar with the work that you've done uh, everywhere you've been. And we, uh, when Brandon uh, said, hey, I've got an opportunity, we might be able to talk to, to Aaron Stevens. Have you ever heard of him? I was like, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, man, it's, I'm so excited to, to have you on the show, and, and I appreciate the time.
2: Oh, thank you. No, I'm pumped to be here. We are social distancing. You're in Florida and I'm in California, so that's a big deal. We have a whole country in between us. Yeah, I was going to say,
0: I I think there's a six-foot thing going on here. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) at, at minimum. So I've got to ask Brandon, how how do you two how did y'all's paths cross? Well, my my my
1: buddy and and uh, uh, my brother in um in California, sorry, Jesus Diego, uh, Verdusco. He uh, I I toured with him. He was guitar player in El Nino when uh, when I was tour managing them, and he's been feeding me leads, if you will, some <laughs> some of his friends and whatnot. And Aaron just happened to be one of them, so that's how we got connected.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, Aaron's got a real interesting path. And and I'm sure you're going, why do why are these guys talking to a pro wrestler on a mental health podcast? Trust me. Trust me. We'll get to that because this guy's been through a lot. But, uh, you know, I'm fascinated because in my doing my homework uh, on you, Aaron, um, I didn't know that you were trained by Killer Kowalski. Yes.
2: Yeah. I was uh started there at 16 years old and this was before um you know you could break into the business then. I was actually really uh I was I considered myself like the test dummy back then. Um <laughs> it was yeah, like hey, uh if your parents sign a permission slip, uh, I'm going to let you do it. I went, "Okay." And um you know, of course I had to talk to my parents and and my dad was much more apt to sign it than my mom, but, uh, but they both kind of were like, okay, we'll do this and, you know, keep your grades up and all that stuff. Um, and yeah, I was able to start training when I was a junior in high school, which was interesting. Um, you know, especially going to a Catholic school, you're sitting in homeroom on Friday and you're having a nun telling you to tuck your shirt in. And then, <laughs> you know, that evening you're, you know, you're in the ring with like gold dust and, you know, cause the office could do the third party bookings at the time. Um, and like a lot of the guys that you would see on TV would do independent shows. So, I mean, what a contrast for me. And you talk about growing up quick. There you go.
1: Catholic school. How huh? was that high school?
2: Yes. Holy name. Um, okay. Holy name, central Catholic junior senior high school, which unfortunately um, due to, in my opinion, very poor decisions by the diocese of Worcester is no longer going to be a thing. They're merging two Catholic schools up there. And uh, I understand In business, you have to do things and you have to do what's best, but um, holy name, due to the um, the hard work and the um, the knowledge of uh, Mr. Reynolds, um, was actually the most successful Catholic school in the diocese and it was actually making money. Um, Uh and it was just a shame that they're going to you know take that namesake away. Um, but uh, sorry, that's my little soapbox for the evening. That and you know what. I'm going to go ahead and plug Diego's line of clothing if it's okay. The uh Absolutely. Sanctum Secretum, which is a Masonic um line of clothing, which is how um how we all met. Like Diego and I, we were um we belong to the same fraternity being the Freemasons and um that's how we all kind of got hooked up with uh the all on here. So Yeah, so definitely check out Sanctum Secretum on Instagram. Um really cool stuff. Yeah, the- and we're done plugging. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah but the clothing line I mean uh, you know' all, all plugging aside if you will I mean the designs are insane and you know I'm also a uh, freemason so um you know we all it, it's it's just really cool art it's, and it uh, is, yeah. It, yeah it's really unique really 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 unique uh so I support that as well uh but yeah I would uh, I went to Catholic high school as well Um, I went to Bishop Kinney in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I think it's still around. So, uh, I I just, the a nuns thing. I had to go to religious class, religion class, you know, every year that I was there and, you know, tucked in shirt, no facial hair, Mm -hmm. hair had to be a certain length. Um, what else? Uh, I had to wear a damn tie every day. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I, which I didn't mind, man, because you didn't really have to think about what you, what you could wear. You could wear a white shirt with a blue tie or a maroon tie. Uh or a white shirt and and khakis or blue navy pants. So you Mm -hmm. you know, just like Einstein would say back in the day, he never he wore the same thing every day, so he didn't have to waste brain cells on trying to figure out what to wear. So I guess I have that to think for it.
2: Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. And then I trust me, I have more scars from nuns than I do from all of my time in the ring. (laughs) (laughs) I oh they whacked me with that ruler. Oh,
0: I say I I, I I had two years of Catholic high school and I escaped, so I, I don't have too <laughs> many stories.
2: Well, because that's the thing, right? Like, you know, in, in public school it's so you know, it's governed by the state and everything else, and you get but I mean who's gonna say you can't do that to a nun? <laughs> oh you know, like, man. Who, who's gonna tell a nun what to do? Like <laughs> oh. it's it's a different thing, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's
0: it's a it's a totally different world. That's totally
2: yeah. right there.
1: know yeah. Get it. That'd be crazy
0: well you said that you uh you started training when you were 16 so obviously you were a fan of wrestling growing up when did you know you wanted to get into it
2: uh when i was five years old um i actually was at a department store with my mom and they had those those old school arcade games like the big giant machines and i'll never forget this i said hey can i go play one of those she goes yeah wait a minute behave yourself on the checkout line and you will So I did. She gave me a quarter. I went I had. I remember I had to stand on the stool to go play it. And I didn't know what I was doing. I'm like pressing a bunch of buttons and the the guy just beat me. It happened to be a pro wrestling game, by the way. And I remember I just got a little upset and I said, well, I'm going to be a wrestler. That's it. I I was mad because I lost the game. And um, ever since then, life just kind of uh, took its course.
0: That's a cool story because we're all around the same age. I think I've got you by a couple of years. I'm going to be 42 next week. So I, I can totally relate to growing up, you know, playing the wrestling games and, you know, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's yeah. just it, it was a different world back then. And it's amazing how how the wrestling world has changed over the years from, you know, you've got the different eras, you know, from the, the rock and wrestling era with with Hulk Hogan and. You know, the Iron Sheik and and the big names from the 80s into the Attitude Era of the 90s, where, you know, the NWO and it's just it's just progressed. And, you know, it's it's amazing just how far the the state of the industry has come.
2: Yes. Yes, absolutely. It's, uh, you know, like everything else, it goes through a uh, an evolution process. I think that's what, you know, depending on like what society is feeling and like some general themes of society or the you know the zeitgeist of the the times if you will and then um, it also depends on the uh, the corporate structure of the wrestling business you know where um, we've seen publicly traded companies um, we've seen a monopoly now we're seeing kind of more of a diverse um, structure in, in terms of the overall business so it's um, it's interesting
0: it's fascinating because you you know these days you're starting to see it for lack of a better term it's almost kind of more like the territories are coming back a little bit with uh yes. with with the independent wrestling scene and and we'll we'll get to some of that uh here in a little bit but you know your first television match was uh was a WWE match back in 02 uh in a loss against Stevie Richards at that age getting a TV match you know what was running well, through your head you had to have been thinking that- you were like
2: Yes, and you did say my first TV match, right? Correct. Not my because my first WWE match was at the, it's now called the Dunkin' Donuts Center, then the Providence Civic Center. Okay, and I did a dark match against a guy named Brutal Bob Evans, uh, uh, who was another uh, you know local guy, and uh, that was my first time in a WWE ring. And then uh, I think almost a year went by, and then I, I did the match against Stevie Richards uh, on Sunday Night Heat, and um, you know I I've always kind of it, it was strange. Well, people, oh, are you nervous? Are you this? And of course you're going to have some butterflies, especially as a young kid going out there. But I remember when I actually got in the ring, you know, uh, and I've always had this philosophy. And as I've kind of progressed in my career, um, the truth is I don't get butterflies. And then people have said, Oh, if you don't get those butterflies before you're going to go through the curtain, you know, you're in the wrong bit. Well, uh, apparently I, I've been in the wrong business because With me, I am completely relaxed. And then when I go out there, like my philosophy is, look, the ring, there's four sides to it, unless you're an impact for a little bit, but, uh, (laughs) you know, there's four sides to it. There's three ropes. If you're going to fall down, the best place to do so is in the middle. Go do your thing. Whether it's at a bingo hall, whether it's at Madison Square Garden or at a stadium in front of 80,000 people, right? It's like, go do your thing. And you know that that always kind of served me well, but when I'm actually out there performing, I'm just on a high that really you can't equate it to anything. So I'm my butterflies are, are are butterflies of joy, if you will, when I'm performing, and then when I go back, you know, usually it takes me about ten minutes. You know, I my adrenaline shuts down and I go back to being playing a Aaron again. But um, but when I'm out there, it's like this. It's it's I put absolutely everything I have into the performance, whatever I'm doing, um, and then I just leave it out there and, you know, kind of go back to being normal.
0: (laughs) Your your first TV match, how old were you?
2: First, I was 20. Wow. Yeah, I just turned 20.
0: I would say you don't you don't hear many guys break in on TV at that age. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I've i got to imagine your family was surrounded, the, you know, surrounding the TV and watching everything and just the confidence level that that, that had to have given you at that age. It must have been off the charts.
2: You know, it, it was pretty cool. Um, it was still all new to me. And, and you know, um, I just I owe. I owe, you know, killer so much for training me, accepting me at 16, breaking me in. Um, but then next to Killer, you know, I, I I owe Dr. Tom Pritchard so much, who was the head of developmental at the time, and he was doing trial camps. He's the guy who kind of saw me, discovered me, um, and has been, I tell you what, one of the best people that I've ever met and one of, if not my biggest supporter consistently throughout my career. And, you know, if it wasn't for Dr. Tom, I would not have had the career I've had.
0: So is that, is that how you ended up in OVW is through Dr. Yes. Tom? Yeah. I kind of yes. figured Let, let's go back to killer Kowalski real quick for, for people on, you know, not familiar with, with killer Kowalski. He's one of the most legendary pro wrestlers in the history of the game. Um, I mean, this guy has, his career is, is second to none. Do you have any good killer Kowalski stories?
2: Again, the, the time where look the, the training speaks for itself. And, you know, I, I, I always kind of had this thing where he took care of me in terms of, I never had to worry about work. Like when I was ready to actually go start doing this, you know, I was with, um, what could, it was the closest thing to a developmental system they had. It was called a WWA run by a guy named Fred Sparta, who was a WWF official. And I say WWF, cause this is the, the era we're in. Um, and then he would run independent shows, but then you'd have guys like test, Edge, Christian, Val Venus, Goldust. Like you would get these guys and they would like main event the independent shows. And with me, I would, you know, I was the young kid. I mean, I was, God, I was 18 when I started working for him. Cause I had done some stuff for NWA new England for Tony rumble and kind of like got my feet wet there. But then it was like, okay, you're going to start working for Freddie. And that was the top of the line when it came to independent shows, because you would get, 1,500 or yeah, 1,500 people, 2,000 people. Um, It it was insane. And they would, I mean, it may not seem like a lot now, but when you pack out an armory and it is standing room only, and there is just people, I mean, it's pretty wild, especially for a kid who, you know, I don't know, I'm having a a nun tell me to tuck my shirt in and (laughs) hours later it's that. So it was quite a contrast. And I, I received a very good education in the ring and like Walter would do a thing where he would, he would referee my matches. Like he, they would send me out there in the first match. I'd wrestle for 10 minutes. Two guys would come and jump me. A guy would come down and make the save and we would set it up for the semi-main event. So this young kid and um, like whoever versus these two guys under mask, all the annihilators. And, and um, you know, that was, I tell you what, they really took care of me in terms of an education well, and um, I was
0: just saying that shows that they had confidence in you because, you know, an 18 year old kid. I mean, that's that's just crazy to be put in that spot. They must have thought the world of you.
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, and I thought the world of them. But at the same time, you know, in training, there were these guys who, were, who the hell is this kid? And, you know, I I learned how to take a butt whooping, shall we say, <laughs> real quick. I'm sure and, You know, my, my pain tolerance uh, increased exponentially.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, when when you're a kid like that, walking into a locker room with veterans along those lines, I can't imagine that's easy.
2: Oh, you know what? I was, yeah, uh, very, very uh, shy at first. And, um, you know, even in training, like to to just, because look, I I was a bigger kid. Uh, And I was, you know, my high school, I was like biggest dude there. Um, And when you, but a 16-year-old, Compared to a 25 year old. It's a very different deal. Oh, yeah. And um, So it was like, you know, you you learned respect real quick. And um, but at the same time, you know, it made you tougher. You kept going. And, um, you know, I I really looking back on it, that part of my career, I would not have done any differently.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you, and it sounds like you had the right people that that kind of. I, I don't want to say protected you, but but had your back throughout the whole, the whole process.
1: Yeah. So yeah, were I mean, you were you they, sixteen fighting or wrestling? Um, uh, twenty five year olds back then? in practice.
2: Yes, like not. Uh, I was seventeen when I did my first match, uh-huh. but when I was sixteen, that was like I get in there. Okay, you learn how to bump, you learn how to fall down. Now you're gonna learn how to wrestle, kid. So it was getting slammed and just it was. You know, yeah, I, I learned how to take a chop really good. Wow, yeah,
1: okay, well, well, that's well, not what I was I, doing at sixteen. I'm just saying.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I was say when I was sixteen, I could barely piss straight. So I'm this. I'm impressed by all of this. Uh, so it, it's quite an amazing story. You know, you you hear, oh, I'm sixteen. I'm going to go to the high school party and. This guy's over here wrestling gold dust in the main event of indie shows. It's great. Um, you know, so so Dr. Tom Pritchard took a liking to you. He, uh, you know, basically brought you to, to OVW, Ohio Valley Wrestling, which at the time, I believe that was one of the WWE developmental territories, wasn't it?
2: That was. that At the time, that was the only developmental territory because they just uh, shut HWA down and uh, Deep South hadn't been formed yet.
0: Okay, yeah, I was thinking Deep South, but... But yeah, no, you're you're right. Deep South wouldn't have been around at that point. That was in 3 uh, I've got to ask the legendary Jim Cornette. Well, he mm-hmm. was—you've <laughs> got to have some corny stories.
2: Oh yes, um, he's a character, you know, uh, Jimmy. And you know he people can say what they want, right? I mean, he, he's been one of the most polarizing figures in the wrestling industry. We can't deny that. Um, but in terms of me going in there as a kid um again i was always taken care of and you know to 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 be in that environment when like okay you're getting signed I, I wasn't the youngest guy to ever go to developmental but i was one of the youngest and you know with jim and danny davis too i i have to mention him uh the way that they took care of me the way that they just taught me and uh, and i want to mention Rip Rogers too, because, you know, I, we, we kill her. There's Dr. Tom, but, um, in terms of the psychology of the business, in terms of how to walk in to any arena in the world where they don't know your name and in a matter of minutes, get everyone in that building caring about you, whether it's loving you or hating you, um, Rip taught me how to do that. And that was truly, uh, what enabled me to go to Puerto Rico and survive there for a year and a half, straight like without a break, because um, usually when Americans go there, um, they stay for three months. Well, it was but funny really- before.
0: Yeah, before we we started talking, I was telling Brandon that you spent time in Puerto Rico, and for those that don't know, that is easily one of the toughest areas in the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. Period. <laughs> yep. I mean, there have literally been people murdered in that territory. The, the legendary Bruiser Brody was murdered in Puerto Rico, you know, and it's the, the stories from Puerto Rico are just insane with the colognes and, you know, the crowds that get there that are so, so insane. Uh, oh, you okay. know, I, I, I can't even imagine. I, I was going to ask you what it was like, you know, as a kid that age going from, you know, the New England area where you grew up to Louisville. But, you know, let, let's jump right into Puerto Rico. I mean, we're, yeah. we're skipping a lot, but
2: you brought it up. Yeah. How, um, how
0: nuts was that?
2: That was crazy because that was a, <laughs> that was crazy. like New England. OK, you know, do some cool moves, learn how to work with people. Um, we're sending you to Louisville. OK, work with Rip, learn the psychology of the business. Um, and. You know, when I was young, because I always had Killer, always had my back. Dr. Tom always had my back. Danny Davis always had my back. And when there was an administrative change um, in the WWE up in Connecticut, um, you know, you kind of get forgotten about because they have to push their guys. right? Right. I mean, it's just a corporate thing. And I didn't know how to take that. So in in one sense, I was very, very mature. Right. Where I could go out there, you know. Do the main event matches. Do whatever you need. Work with anyone. But in the other sense, in terms of the politics, in terms of how to you know really kind of navigate uh, the corporate side of things, I wasn't, and and that's what ultimately led to me leaving the WWE. And I went to Puerto Rico, and you know, again, so I, I had the ability to to work with anyone. I had the the knowledge of how to okay psychologically. This is how you make this make sense, and this is whatever. And then it was funny because in Puerto Rico, Carlos Colon, why I, I, again, I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to both Carlos Colon and Victor Jovica. Um, but what I learned in Puerto Rico, and this was really something that stuck with me and still does. Um, cause you know, I thought I, I was done with the wrestling business. And recently I kind of dipped one foot back in, um, I was doing a, uh, a match, uh, against a guy named Glamour Boy Shane, where I hit him and, and you know, I attacked him, uh, at the end of a match and really kind of, you know, roughed him up. I'm getting to the back and Carlos is sitting there smiling. He gives me the thumbs up. He says, good job. I said, oh, thanks boss. Did you see it? And he laughed at me. He goes, no, I didn't see it. And I'm looking at him like, what? He goes, he goes, Aaron, I'm the boss. He goes, I run a business. I'm a pro wrestler. When I watch wrestling, I'm going. oh, did that punch look good? Did that kick, you know, how did this look? How did that look? He goes, I listened to the people. I heard their reaction. You did your job. I know I'm going to sell out next time I come back here. And that, to me, it, like, clicked, and I went, oh, my God. And it just, it was this, you know, you you travel to the world, you know, different parts of the country, different parts of the world. You, You gain all this knowledge, and then it was there that I just kind of let everything go. And I said, oh, okay. So it is that simple. It's like boiled down in its most simplistic form. Yes, wrestling is entertainment, plain and simple. Um, And that philosophy kind of served me in WWE because when they weren't quote unquote booking me, like most people think I should have been booked or I have or whatever. um, Uh, whatever
0: Oh, we'll we'll get to that. Don't worry. Oh,
2: thanks. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Whatever they gave me, it was my job to go out there and do my job, right. which is get everyone in the place, you know, out of their seat that they paid for.
0: You know, to get a vote of confidence like that from someone like Carlos Colon, I mean, and just to have it all thick like that. Is is amazing, and and you know you brought up the politics of, of the wrestling business, and you know I I mentioned I, I've been a lifelong wrestling guy my whole life, and honestly I'm more fascinated by the business side and the creative side mm-hmm. than than anything else, and you know I, I think a lot of people can kind of relate to the political side of, of the business just because of you know their regular office politics, you know their jobs at home and, and stuff like that, and you know trying to you know navigate through those those political doors can be, can be really difficult.
2: Yeah. And, um, again, I had the luxury of people taking care of me the first part of my career. And then, you know, in, in one aspect, I had to kind of be thrown to the wolves and, you know, see if you survive. And, you know, I, I did survive. It wasn't as pleasant as I thought it would be. i definitely got bit a few times, but, um, ultimately I came out of it. I think not only a, um, a better pro wrestler, but um, I came out of it, a you know, a stronger person. So.
0: Yeah. So. So in 2010, you signed with the WWE. They send you to FCW here in Tampa, where we're located, which mm-hmm. I, I think is funny because I have a feeling our paths have crossed and we've never even realized it because. Yeah. For those that, that don't know, the FCW warehouse where the, the training used to be was right around the corner from the radio station that I used to work at. So I have, which is crazy
1: because I, I, I drove by it every single day. Cause I worked at the same radio station you did at the time. And I always wondered what it was. And, and I didn't find, I didn't find out what it truly was until what a couple of days ago when we talked, mm-hmm. I, I had no, I had no idea.
2: No idea. Yeah. yeah. You know, we probably ran into each other. What's, what's that deli on Dale Mabry highway. And you right. know, the one I'm talking about right? Square right. May, Right. Rick, yes. Seller? Yeah. Oh my God. You, you talked about another plug. I mean, inadvertently, obviously, but this is the best <laughs> sandwich I've ever eaten. I have, oh, that was the spot, man. Wright's oh, Gourmet yeah.
0: has the best carrot cake I've ever eaten, too.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So, oh, God. Oh my God. Yeah. The
2: That's
1: best everything.
0: To- all right. Well, here's the deal. Next time you're in Tampa, we're all meeting up for lunch at Wright's Gourmet.
2: Absolutely done.
0: Cool. Yep. And it, it's even better. It's going to be on Brandon. So there you go.
2: Oh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so you signed back with the WWE in, in 2010. They send you to FCW. Um, you know, y- you've you ridden this success to this point. What's your mindset going back into the WWE at that point?
2: Uh, just let it happen. Just, um, you know, let it happen and, and let the chips fall where they may. Uh, again, Dr. Tom, who had left WWE and then came back. Uh, and again, he was the reason I got re-signed. Um, so he was there, which was just an awesome thing to be able to see him every day. And, uh, I also now have to give a lot of credit to Steve Kern, who you know was the owner of FCW, uh, Steve, re- cause doc was busy with a lot of people. Um, and I asked Steve for advice and Steve went out of his way, uh, to really work with me, uh, and help me develop and polish me. And, and I really owe Steve Kern, um, just a tremendous amount of uh, of just gratitude, and and to this day, Steve is a friend of mine, and um, you know I, I can't say enough about who he is as a person, and um, and and just just an overall amazing performer as well. So
0: now, just for perspective, when you were at FCW, how many guys were there?
2: Um, well, I think a lot less than the Performance Center. Uh, <laughs> I, there yeah. was maybe. I wanna say between I'd say thirty or forty, maybe.
0: Who were who were some of the names that were there with you?
2: Um Wyndham, uh sorry, Bray, Bray Wyatt. Wyatt. Um, Bo Dallas, right? Yeah, that's his name. Um because I, I, I call him Taylor. Um, right.
0: I actually then, I actually uh, know their sister Micah pretty well, so
2: she's wonderful. She she's in radio, right? Yeah, she works
0: at one oh two five the bone here locally, yeah.
2: The, yeah, I, I tell you what, you talk about a wonderful family, the Rotundos. I First of all, Mike Rotundo, the man should have a job for the rest of his life. He is an amazing agent, Um, very, very practical guy, a very knowledgeable guy, and does not get the credit he deserves. And Mike was very instrumental on helping the Sandow character get on TV. And uh, I owe Mike Rotundo a lot, too. And uh, please, I'm not trying to, like, make this a, uh, you know, giving shout-outs all the time, but he, Mike Rotundo... Again, can't say enough about him as a human being.
0: Well, and they're and they're local guys down here for us too because yeah. they're from the, the the Brooksville area, from a little north yes. of, of Tampa here. So yeah, absolutely. Yep.
2: Uh, but no, they were there. Titus O'Neill was there. Titus is a good buddy of mine. Love um, that guy. You know, there was Roman. Uh, he, you know, cool. Uh, yeah, there was there was um we we had some good times. We we definitely had some good times. And um you know I don't know if people I think some people do or not, but um like Santino. Him and I are like real life best buddies. And so I, I we lived together in Louisville. And then he was living in Tampa. So like when I got signed, I was like, okay, well, I'm coming to Tampa. He goes, all right. And live with him. So we we had a blast. I mean Tampa was just the best city. And then there's um, you know, Ryan Nemeth, who is Dolph Ziggler's younger brother, uh, who, you know, we're super tight. And he's actually out here on the West Coast with me. Um, you know, like we we live in different areas but um but you know we hang and stuff um i tell you what you know what off topic tampa it's one of the best cities ever
0: i'm not arguing with you we're very blessed to live here
2: yeah
1: i live in st pete i'm just gonna say
0: that well you're a scrub (laughs) but it's okay courtney
1: (laughs) I i don't i don't i don't i don't I don't get over the ditch too much. I was going to
0: yeah. say, I, I think it was the owner of the Tampa Bay Rays, Stu Sternberg, uh, uh, Sternberg that called the Howard Franklin Bridge the Great Divide. And, yeah. and no word, no words have ever been truer in the history of the Tampa Bay area. That bridge might as well be... Oh, God, be, people yeah. hate that bridge. I
1: support yeah. him and his thoughts.
2: Is that <laughs> what you take to get to um, Tropicana Field?
0: Yeah, yeah, you take... Yeah. they a, built a
2: new one, right? They built a new... Didn't they build a new baseball stadium? No, no, no that's still no.
0: in the works of trying to get built. Uh, the Rays wow. are tied into the lease there at Tropicana Field until twenty twenty seven, and wow. they've been talking about building a new stadium for 20 years, years
1: and years and years. It's funny that we even bring that up because you guys are talking about Puerto Rico, and I remember when I was at I was on a, a bachelor party and I was in uh, Cuba and I saw the stadium um, that the Rays played in. And talk about places that you don't really feel safe. That looked like one of them that would top uh-huh. a category uh, for professional uh, for for professional sports. Um, but, yeah, I saw it. It just I mean, you know, being in I, I loved Cuba. Don't get me wrong. It was amazing. I mean, just gorgeous, all kinds of different things. And the culture is amazing. But you could just see like if you looked at the stadium, it was kind of just a little just a tiny bit sketch, tiny bit sketch. Mm-hmm. So I get it.
0: You know, you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned two guys that, that kind of popped me a little bit. Titus O'Neil, for those that don't know his story, it's it's amazing. Um, you know, his his mom gave birth to him when he was 15, or when she was 15 years old. Um, you know, grew up little, kind of little sketchy. Um, ended up, you know, finding football. Ended up on a scholarship to the University of Florida. Uh, play, uh, played there, won a national championship there. Um, I mean, this guy's done so much and, and most importantly though, outside of the professional world, from a community service standpoint, this guy is, is ridiculous with some of the stuff that he does.
2: Oh, he's amazing. And, um, you know, him and I, we got to, um, to be a tag team for quite some time in FCW and
0: he's just massive. He's just a big dude.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, he is. People Um, don't
0: realize how big he is. I mean, he's like broad.
2: Yeah. And, um, no, he, he is just, I tell you what I have never had a bad experience with Titus. Uh, he's, he's, you know, should be very proud of everything that he's done and is doing. And, um, you know, he he's got two amazing sons. Uh, and again, I haven't talked to him in, in quite a while, but, uh Titus is just he's he's not good people he's great people and uh and you know he's he's definitely such an asset to um to the Tampa Bay area
0: yeah no doubt and you know he's also uh been nominated one of the i think it's top 5 or top 6 uh nominees for ESPN's Muhammad Ali award for all of the yeah. community service stuff that he does. Um,
2: yeah. That's yeah. amazing.
0: And, and it's funny. Cause I've bumped into him a time or two and I, he doesn't remember me from Adam and I wouldn't expect him to, but yeah, I covered him when he played for the Tampa Bay storm, the arena football league here.
2: Uh, oh,
0: wow. And, and I always joke with him about, about coach Markham and he just kind of chuckles about it. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, he's been a, a stalwart here in the, in the Bay area for quite a long time. The other name you brought up was Santino uh one of the one of the greatest comedy wrestlers of all time but this oh, guy's yeah. this guy's got a legitimate MMA background behind him that people don't know about
2: no he's he's got a black belt in judo in fact um last summer in July you know I just went up and hung out with him for a month cuz i mean our i'm friends with his parents and everything and like um you know we we are we're actually more like family and um so it was just like okay go um and I, of course he had me teach the pro wrestling classes because he had to go to Montreal. So it's like, we're planning this trip for about three weeks. I'm like, okay, I'm going to come up. I'm going to stay for a month. I'll start moving around again, see if I can, you know, still wrestle. Who knows? Because it's been a couple of years. And then I get there. He's there for a day. And he goes, all right, I'm going to Montreal for five days. I'm like, um, anything you want to tell me? He goes, oh yeah, um, you need to teach the pro wrestling classes. And, but, but that's the relationship we had. It's like his parents, um, were leaving about two days after that. And, you know, they gave me a key to their house, gave me a car. All right. See ya. It, that's it was awesome. Just, you know, that's how it was. But it, we had such a great time. Um, and no, I mean, yes, he has a legit black belt in judo. Uh, he's, you know, not to be messed with.
0: So we mentioned you signed back with the WWE in 2010, ended up in FCW, riding the highest of highs, thinking, okay, I finally made it. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you started to gain, gain a little traction and you gained a little steam. And I don't for lack of a better term, I don't want to say they pulled the carpet out from under you, but it it seemed like everything you did was a hit. And and the crowd was into it and it just clicked. And, you know, uh, you you were you were teaming with with the Miz doing the whole Damien Mizdow character, Mm -hmm. which was brilliant, by the way. I've never seen a guy have a wrestling match with himself.
2: Oh, thank you. Yes. I know people say I could have a match with a broomstick, but that was, you know. We we have to to take it to the next level. And and I don't even have a broomstick. Brandon,
0: Brandon, if you've never seen this, you've you've got to find it on YouTube or somewhere, because he would literally mimic everything that was being done in the ring Uh on the outside by himself. And he would take the bumps, execute, move. It it was it was it was incredible.
1: Wait, all with the broomstick or no?
2: No, by himself. (laughs) when when Miz would fall down, I was standing on the outside of the ring, and I would fall down. If he would get hit in the face, <laughs> I would sell it like i had gotten hit in the face. Um, and it got more ridiculous as the weeks went on. I can assure you that. Oh, it uh, was
0: it was absolutely ridiculous, but it was the highlight of the show for forever. And oh, thank you. No, no, you deserve all the credit in the world for getting that over. But you know, it was well, like I,
2: a lot of that was on Miz too. Um, and, and you know what? Uh, I'm saying you two seem to work well together. We did. And you know what? We had always been friends. Um, We were friends at OVW. Um, Were we ever like super tight? No, Uh, we we didn't travel together. We just, we kind of, you know, just ran in separate circles, but we were always, we were always friends. And when it came to performing though, we just, we had this unspoken thing where he knew like he could not go out there and wrestle a normal match in the sense of. If he got hit, he would have to stay down an extra second or make himself unavailable for an extra second because I would sell it. So it was like people's attention, they would they go to him, then they would go to me. And we just we had this feeling between us. And like uh, I remember we won the tag belts. He naturally and we didn't talk about it. Grab both of the tag belts and we he got on one turnbuckle i got on another and we'd do a thing where he would raise the belts up they would boo i would do what i would cheer we stayed in the ring for about two minutes which is a very long time post-match but that building i tell you what the the place was shaking and they weren't stopping and it was just one of the coolest things because we didn't talk about it and, and I'll, if it was involved in a finish it was kind of intricate we would but i'll Ninety-five percent of what we did, including our television matches, we did not know what we were going to do. We, I didn't know what I was going to do. He didn't know what he was going to do. We would. I was like, "Miz, do your match, and whatever you do, I'll react. At, or react off it." And he goes, "Okay." And th- and none of that was planned. That's amazing to me.
0: That's absolutely amazing to me because it, you guys were just always in sync. I mean, no matter what what you guys are doing the fact that you guys improved all of that is utterly amazing to me that that's what makes it frustrating cuz people were on this man i mean they were all about it and uh, was it correct me if i'm wrong it was one of the big four pay per views i want to say it might have been the rumble and you know you came out and easily got the biggest pop of the night you look back and go okay this guy's got it but you know, we talked about the politics and, and, you know, was that the
2: one in Tampa where it was like a tag, like a three-way tag match where I had been off TV for a minute. And I came back as intellectual savior.
0: You know what? I think you're exactly right. I don't think it was. Yeah. 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 At the place lost their mind.
2: And Um, yeah.
0: (laughs) And yeah. And it's like, okay, they've got something here, but we talked about the politics and, and you know, the wrestling world is known, you know, if, you don't run in the right circles or you know you're you're not buddy buddy with the right people, you know, they just kind of brush you aside. Yeah. And, you know, um, you gotta say you come in riding this confidence of finding success everywhere you've been, and you're doing it again, and it's not going anywhere.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, and, and that was a big thing to where the the original intellectual savior character, you know, came up with that and that was a big dusty create like Dusty helped with the pre- d- the robe and the towel, that was all Dusty's idea. I'll I say I've I never had, heard,
0: I've never heard an interview with a pro wrestler that didn't have a Dusty Rhodes story.
2: Yeah, no, d- Dusty was the one that said like, okay, um, robe and towel, okay, um, and then again I had the pink tights, and it just kind of it naturally evolved right into whatever the hell it evolved into, um, and then okay, so you're starting on TV. Things were just clicking right away. Everything was great. Um, it was. I think about like a year and a half went by. Okay, money in the bank. Here we go. That was cool. Um, and then they were booking me to lose every week. And they said, oh, that's what happens when you win the briefcase. I said, okay. I yeah, go and me- and,
0: and then just, just for the record, for those that don't know, the money in the bank, if you win the money in the bank, basically you get a briefcase that you can cash in at any point to win the championship. So I, I, for those that aren't familiar with the wrestling world, I just wanted to throw that out there. So I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off.
2: um, No, thanks for doing that. Um, No, and So I said, okay, give me 10 seconds at the end of every match. And I just would go like, I think it was, um, you know, and still your uncrowned champion me or something like that, whatever I said, but that was the heat. Um, Came time to um, cash in the briefcase. Things did not go in my favor. It was, uh, I guess, an issue because they were up against Monday Night Football and the World Series, and it was a ratings thing. So ended up going, I think it was like three segments with John, um, you know, came to the back, and people, like you know, stood up, gave me a hug, oh, that was so great, and this and that, and said, yeah, thanks. Um, But then to me, it was like, okay, let's capitalize off this, right? There's nothing you can do about it, right? Wrestling's fake the script called for me to lose the match. Got it. Right. Business decision. I completely get that, but it was a week or two later. No one had anything for me creatively. And that was like, okay, whatever. Um, so then shortly after that, they have the idea of dressing up as someone new every week. Right. I did everything from Paul Revere to an astronaut to Davy Crockett and, bunch of other weird stuff i was an interpretive dancer at one point um but usually when they give that character to people they view it as kind of a death sentence but i was like nope this is what we're doing we're gonna go rock this and i I had a very different approach to it which inevitably led me to be mrs stunt double um they they stuck with me and ms and then that just gave me some time to like okay what does a stunt double do and i was on raw one night and that's when I started fighting the invisible man, um, you know, and that kind of took on some popularity. And then I, and I, I remember, you know, to get political, I'm not going to mention any names, but there was certain talent that had a house show when we were blowing the roof off the place and it was not cooling down that were are planting seeds to the agents. Like, Oh yeah. Where do we go with him after Ms. Dow? Where do we, and it's kind of like, dude, you know, you got a top spot, worry about you. Like, don't worry about me. Um, But I I could tell, okay, this is the way it works here. Because when you get to a certain point in popularity, and this isn't a knock on anyone or any company, this is the way it is. This or the way it was when I was there, you are immediately, they try to put the brakes on you, right? Well, they did that with intellectual savior. I came out of that. They tried to do it with Ms. So Ms. and I had a feud, which really went nowhere. Um, okay, what do we do with them now? I pretty much convinced Road Dogg to let me have five minutes with a microphone on TV, and I came out as myself. I remember. Uh, and I this. just said, you know, I came to WWE in a blue bathrobe. Now that was, in, I think, in the Midwest somewhere. Had that been in New York or Philly, I think it would have been even bigger. But I remember the reaction was just insane, and the whole promo was me. Not being like anyone else, I'm just gonna be me and who I am. It was very much an every man character. Right. Because I had I all I did was talk to the people. And the week after that, I was dressed as Randy Savage with no reason, nothing. It made no sense. And that that was, I mean, to me, as close to a like a burial as it could have been. Well, lo and behold, me and Joe Henning, who I absolutely love, we got that thing over. And it was, you know, look, was it a top spot? No, but it wasn't booked to be, but we were rocking house shows. And what happened that, you know, I think there was a bit of a scandal that came about and we just kind of had to cease and desist everything. But, um, you know, after that, they kept me on the road full time. Like I couldn't have a second to really get my stuff together because I was on a full-time house show schedule having to go to two like TVs after working you know, three, three nights, different town. I would sit at these TVs for 12 hours a day, plus having to drive through the night and do nothing. Like I couldn't even get a dark match.
0: I'm saying for people that, that, you know, aren't into the wrestling business, you know, you guys are on the road 250, 300 nights a year.
2: Yeah. Um, well, I think the schedule is better now when they did a brand split, but um, well, yeah, but at that yeah, point,
0: was- at that point that the brand split wasn't there, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then I I floundered for a few months where I just couldn't get anything and I couldn't get any answers from them. And I see I was never one to go and and kiss anyone's backside. Um, But I always tried to let them know that, look, I was eager to do whatever. Just give me something and I'll make it work. Right. Couldn't do it. Couldn't even get a dark match. Um, And then all of a sudden, um, you know, we did that thing in Tampa. And I remember came down. I think I was teaming with Darren Young. And we got to the ring, and, and Bubba looked at me. It was the W's were involved in that. He just goes, You knew they were going to do that, didn't you? I go, Yep. <laughs> he just kind of smiled and chuckled. And, and like him and Devon are, they're so great too. I, I really have nothing but uh, fond memories of those guys. And, you know, I remember when I got to the back because the reaction was, and they were chanting my name. I'm not trying to, you know, sound. Like I'm having delusions of grandeur because you can look this up. Oh, no,
0: they, they um, totally were. They had your back, you know, 10,000%. Throughout,
2: throughout the whole match, you know what yeah. I mean? It was throughout the whole match they were chanting my name. And then I remember I got to the back and, you know, there was a, the three or four top people in the company, one of which was a big advocate of mine, could not even look me in the eye and, and were avoiding contact with me. And that's when I just said, I, I remember getting back from that and I went, Okay, like there is nothing I can do. And, you know, the reality is, I, I had just kind of checked out at that point because I, you, you know, you can show up to whatever job um, you have, right? If you're a, a radio guy and they don't sit you in front of a microphone and hit the button so the red light comes on, there's nothing you can do. And, uh, you know, to tie this in with mental health, you know, for a long time, I had always equated who I was with what I did, you know, so making that equation, right. Um, if WWE wasn't using it and, and really not treating me very well, I'll be honest. Cause I, I asked for answers. I asked for whatever, and you know, people, I'm not going to name names, but people that said, if you ever have a problem, come to me, I'll always make time for you. We're not, I mean, just completely iced out. And the thing is, I have no known enemies that I, that I know of, right. I was always respectful to people always did act like if they needed media, they would call me on my days off. I would do it. Um, and I just don't know. Right. So I, I struggled with that. Um, and cause I'm just a person, look, if I'm going to, especially if I'm in a position of authority, I'm going to be straight up with someone. I'm not going to avoid them. You know, right. I'm going to at least have the, um, the decency and I, I call it decency to say, Hey, this is what the deal is. You know, and just to avoid people, I I don't respect that.
0: Right. Yeah. And anytime you you feel like there's a glass ceiling on you that you can see out, you can see, you know, the greener pastures and you can see great things ahead of you. But you just keep hitting that glass ceiling. It's so frustrating. And, you know, I I know, you know, I I mentioned that that we're similar because I kind of went through the same thing personally myself. You know, I'd been at at the radio station I was at for, God, 15 years. And mm-hmm. every time I tried to move up, the higher ups would just look at me, and go, we like you where you're at. Yeah, you're the only one that can handle this. You're the only one that can handle that. We like you where you're at. Mm-hmm. And all the meanwhile, I'm, you know, barely surviving. And it's like, OK, well, there's an opportunity here. Well, I'm more yeah. than qualified. Let me do it. No, no, we, yeah. we like you where you're at. And then all of a sudden you get an opportunity elsewhere and you decide to take it. And then you're the bad guy because you left, you know, and it's like that's you know, it doesn't, it it just doesn't jive. So, you know, and and you're right. It royally jacks with your head because you start doubting yourself.
1: And it's everywhere. That's the thing. Cause like, even with me in my 25 plus, you know, years in media and marketing and advertising stuff that I'm finally out of uh, with the barbershop now, but it's like you get pigeonholed when, typecast Uh, you know when you when you do something really well and they're like oh no we don't want to advance you we don't want to you know promote you or anything like that because like it's like you you handle this so well like you just stay there right or when you do people want to take you down and Mm -hmm. I feel like it's the same way in any industry that you're around like you know you see someone else succeed or you see someone get something you know, positive in their life or, you know, they get this and that and the other, there's the people around you that don't like it uh, because, you know, I talk about control all the time. It's an illusion, but they want to, they want to go out and attack you and take you down. Um, because it's not them. There's like that, that, that jealousy out there or envious people that are just, they kind of just disgust me if you will. But, uh, I, I just don't have a mindset like that. So I just, don't really comprehend how people are the way they are when they do things like that.
2: Yeah. And, um, you know, that combined with my own philosophy to where I am the last per, like the last thing I'm going to do or the last resort I'm going to do is point the finger at someone or something other than myself. So when I was doing this, I'm going, what's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. You know, do I need to get bigger? Do I need to get smaller? Do I need to cut my hair? Do I need to do this or do that? And, yeah. you know, what am I doing? And I, I really was internalizing an issue that, you know, I every time they hit my music and I went out there, you know, I would get a reaction that would be, you know, uh, equal to whoever was working the main event. The office didn't give me a push, so to say. Which uh, for those non wrestling fans, a push is when they they write you in to win all the matches and get you know all the glory, so to speak. Right. Um. In layman's terms, but
0: yeah, that internalization. You know, you know I'm one of those people that I will sit and dissect myself ad yeah. nauseum and and and, yeah. and just beat myself to death, and uh, I'm horrible about it, and. You know, my wife gets on my ass all the time because I just I just ride myself to death to to where there's no yeah. there's no stopping it. Once I, I'm doing it, I'm doing it. And, yeah. you know, in it's in a
1: cycle, you can get out. Yeah, you it, get out of it. It's a Cycle. It's a cycle.
0: It really is. And, you know, being on the radio is, you know, I, I always say, you know, it's not anything glamorous, but it's a high profile job. People are going to know who you are being yeah. on t- being on TV every week and and th- these people have an image of you and, and I've joked about it before in, in some other interviews and stuff that it's almost like leading a double life because people only know the character that they see on TV they don't yes. know Aaron Stevens the guy they don't know Jerry Petuck the radio guy they don't know uh you know Brandon Thompson the person and, and they just have this image so you've always got to put on that front and, and, you know, I've, I've always called it like a double life. So, you know, when you're in that high profile of a job, you can't let people see you internalizing things and trying to figure it out because they've got Suffering. this image of you.
1: Suffering, yeah. basically. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like Clark Kent, basically, you know, like we've got the superhero thing underneath and we're a dork on the outside. Right. Yeah. I mean. I get, I, I have tattoos all over the freaking place, like you know, just like Diego, our friend in California. It's like, and it, people automatically assume that I, okay, oh, he's got tattoos. All right, great. Uh, he smokes weed, uh, probably does some other drugs, definitely drinks, does this, does that, that and, and then they approach me, and, and 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 it's a totally different story. Or I'm not, I'm I'm just not approachable. Well, um, you know, it's you know, it's just whatever. Like it's it, it's almost like a a stereotypical nightmare um outside of all of us and then and you have to put on the front and then when you're done doing the front and you're done it's exhausting man like like being being as tattooed and decorated i guess as i am coming from the corporate world you know putting on that that oh I, i'm uh, you know let me dress for the for the job let me suit mm-hmm. the fuck up and 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 make and overcompensate for the way that I actually look as a normal person, in my opinion, because I, I'm not doing this to express myself or anything like that. It's just it's my body is a journal to me. I I look at every tattoo that I have and I know exactly what happened, when it happened, what I was going through, how I was feeling, and stuff like that. Do I need to explain that to anybody? No. Like, I mean, do I want anybody to ask me about it? No. Do I mind? No, I don't mind, you know, in the right sense, but when I have a you know an, an older person you know approach me and, and and tell me like the other day in the grocery store, oh, you must have been in the service. I said, no, sir, I wasn't in the service. Uh, well, why he was like, why the fuck do you have tattoos And I'm like, I'm sorry, sir, I just huh? like them. Oh yeah! Oh man, I have ran into this guy a few times, man. That's a whole different conversation. I'll tell my wife about it, and she was like, "Are you kidding me?" Um, uh, this, I mean, literally, literally. Okay, I'll just say one one part of the story. First time I ran into him, he's he's a veteran, so every time he yells at me and he's he's mean and he says things to me and says really inappropriate stuff, <laughs> I all I always thank him for his service and I always thank <laughs> him for being a marine and all that kind of stuff. And but uh, the first time I I, uh, I I met him or encountered him. He uh, was pissed beyond words and walked into a cell phone um, company provider, if you will, that I was in trying to find a a case for my phone or something. Who knows what the hell is doing? And he saw that uh, there was an option for Spanish on his phone to change the language to Spanish. Uh And he was he was so pissed off that that was an option on his phone. He was demanding that the people <laughs> in the store remove it. And they were trying to explain to him that it's just, it's just a, it's a feature on the phone. And he just could not, he, he couldn't take wow. it. He's like, I served, I did this. I oh. You know how offensive this is to me, mind you, like, you know, there's other uh, walks of life in the store that are trying to help him. I'm just like, this is not a good situation. Yeah. But, um, but I mean, I, I don't know how I got on that because I guess because he saw me in the grocery store and he looked at me and saw my tattoos and was like, oh, you're one of us. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm one of what, what do you mean? And then he, he 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 began to tell me that only, only, only ones that have served have tattoos, period. And it was a damn shame that I had tattoos because I didn't serve. And I just said, thank you, sir. And walked and kept walking. I don't know. Why that was running. great. Yeah. You know, that, of you course, yeah, you that's that. right.
2: Yeah. yeah. And it's funny because out here, I've recently kind of got involved with a, uh, an organization called MVP um, called Merging Vets and Players, where you have veterans and then, you know, people who were in the athletic world, um, you know, pro athletes and things like that. Um, and, you know, we've been meeting on Zoom once a week, and it's just a kind of a thing to just talk about how everyone's doing and, and just kind of check in with each other. And I tell you what, they do amazing, amazing work. And I, I don't know if they have a chapter in Tampa yet or anything like that. But, um, you know, to anyone out there who's listening, who's a veteran or anything like that, I highly recommend this group. And uh, Susie, um, who is a, an amazing woman out in Malibu, she has um, really just helped so much and helped so many people and, and everyone um that is involved in that organization. So if you, you ch- want to check out merging vets and players, mm-hmm. um, really, really cool stuff going on there. This awesome.
1: gentleman, he's, he, he, you know, he's, I don't want to say senile or anything. I don't want really to call him anything bad. He's just clearly at a time in his life where he's just an, an, you know, angry older person and has very, very strong views and stuff like that, which is fine. And, and as a, Respectable human at my age, pushing forty, I should I should be intelligent enough and have enough common sense to realize that and not react to the things that are are are, are happening. You know, you can, yes. There's no real way to calm someone like that down because they they're. I mean, there just isn't. But uh, you know, it's like uh, it, it's it's crazy to think about because I I hate the fact that sometimes I feel judged by just. Mm-hmm appearing somewhere, going to church or, or, you know, the grocery store for that matter, you know, and in different areas of town and stuff like that, it sucks to be judged. It sucks to be looked at as something different. Even people in my family look down on me for, for tattoos and, and for even having a beard. I mean, it's Jesus had a beard, right? So yeah. like, I mean, it's <laughs> like, like so I, all the time. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, I, I mean, can I just go out in a robe and my beard and hang, and, and, <laughs> hang out? But like, you know, you know, we talked earlier in, 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 in the beginning of the show about uh, us being Freemasons and stuff like that, which I'm not I'm not I haven't really openly talked about too much. But I just dawned on me that I, I I've been there so many different times. And that it's, it's such a it's such a melting pot of cool people and, and different walks of life. And no one's ever said a damn thing about my tattoos there. Huh. It, it's it, interesting. You know what?
2: it is amazing. And um I had the opportunity to go to the um, the temple or the house of the temple in Washington, DC, which is where the, uh, the Southern jurisdiction, Scottish, right? They, their headquarters are there. And it was so cool because on the altar, there was the Bible. There was the Torah. There was the Quran. There was the writings of Confucius. There was, you know, all the the sacred writings of all the major, um, you know, faiths all in one. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, as, as Freemasons too, not to get off subject, but right. people, you know, they see the ring and it's like, Oh, you're in the Illuminati. And, um, I actually posted a picture, um, you know, helping uh, Diego, you know, cause he sent me the the shirt and I Instagrammed the picture and like somebody goes, Oh yeah, don't you guys worship Satan? It's like, what? Ah, like, no, yeah. you <laughs> have no idea.
1: You had no like, idea.
2: <laughs> the, the fraternal, um, just benefits of that organization. It, it can make you a better person. It can, you know, yeah, you can go to people. And, and I just wish, you know, Masonic principles um, are not limited to Masons. And it, essentially, it's just being cool to each other. And yeah. who knows where that veteran is coming from? You know, obviously the man served the country and mm-hmm. anyone, in my opinion, and I was actually just having this conversation today, And not to go off subject here, but that will take a bullet for this country Cause when you sign on that dotted line, that's, that's what it is. Like you have the potential to lose your life for this country. And it's a shame that we don't take better care of our veterans. Right. Uh, and you know, I, I agree with that 10,000%. A
0: hundred
2: thousand percent. Like with the VA and stuff. I mean, I was kind of having a conversation about the healthcare system in the VA out here in California and I mean, it's just so sad. And you know what, mentally too, like what are we doing to take care of the mental health of our veterans? Cause look, I've dealt with some people I don't necessarily like in WWE, but I was still again, parading around in spandex, you know, fake fighting, and <laughs> making a good living. When you go and you've seen combat and some of these guys I've talked to and girls I've talked to, um, you know, it's men and women, both. Um, you know, we really need to take better care of them and be more understanding and, um, and and just be more open to having a discussion and seeing where they're from, in my opinion. You know, no, and it, MVP more, yeah. is awesome. I'll, I'll say that. They're just so great at that. I was like, saying, yeah. It,
1: go, no, no, oh, no. Go ahead. go ahead, Brandon. Go. Uh, uh, kind of to switch the subject a little bit. I just have to ask because like, Earlier in the show, like, I mean, uh, Jerry, you said, like, these guys are, are on the road, like you said, 250, 300 days a year. I mean, that's almost the entire year, right? Mm-hmm. All right. So, like, you're all of my familiarity with uh, with wrestling since, you know, the the days of Ultimate Warrior, which I joked about on the phone call with you guys the other day. Um, you know, I, I kind of, you know, lost touch with it since then. But my encounters with wrestlers ever since then has been the party like uh living in Jacksonville like during my radio days and stuff like that when when the shows would come through the manias would come through and all that kind of stuff I would always run into these guys um uh, even ones that like uh would wear the mask and shit like that and I and yeah. I figure out who they were and they were really cool individuals but we were partying yep. really <laughs> hard. I mean these fit well taken care of you know m- muscle bound if you will like you know uh, individuals and, and we're we're throwing down like it's uh, you know New Year's Eve but yeah. you're doing it every night <laughs> so yeah. it's like uh, you know being uh, you know coming from the music industry um you know touring with Diego and whatnot and and his band at the time and uh, I know what that was like and it was the same kind of situation every single night like every single night was a party unless you had a day off and and, and, and God forbid hope it's not in like Idaho or Kentucky where there's no shit to do nothing to do oh, but. I, 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 I still have Kentucky
2: plates on my car there's plenty to do in Louisville but <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what happens like when you're two and a half hours
1: Louisville. like south of Louisville or some shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh god uh, like uh, that reminds me of St. Louis uh, uh, being in St. Louis there's like a uh, this venue we used to go to all the time it's called Pops if you will and it's mm-hmm. right there on the border and, and and it's attached to a gigantic strip club mm-hmm. and a rock venue so it's like Let's just play here every fucking night. It's fine. (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: Fine.
1: Uh, Some of the craziest stories that come from that venue. Um, But you know, I'm just so I I just wonder what was that like for you and um, your colleagues, if you will, wrestling partners and and people in that industry having to travel that much and. And clearly, and quite honestly, partying just as much as uh, a a damn rock band on the road uh, six months, eight months out of the year.
2: You know, uh, for us, honestly, like, and and I I think that was, you know, back in the 80s and and 90s and things like that. Um, But one of the things that WWE did, which is a very smart move. And and again, you know, am I a fan of the WWE's policies um, or all of the policies? I am not. And I will admit that. And I'm I, again, I, I don't like to air my dirty laundry in public. So that's all I'll say. But one of the positive things they've done is institute a wellness program, which has saved lives. And you know what, if you have worked for them and you want to go to rehab and get yourself clean, they sponsor you. And that awesome. is a positive thing, regardless of why it's done or anything like that. Um, you know, and, and you never really know why something's done, especially at the corporate level. But what a wonderful, wonderful program to have to to take care of people who may be suffering from addiction. And and I know some people that um, they've done it and they've gotten better and, you know, some people struggle with it and uh, some people maybe just abuse it. Uh, Who knows? But that's a positive thing. And in the wellness policy, which, you know, there's there's. Glitches in every system, shall we say. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you look at some of the guys and it's like, come on. Um, you know, they, they think that we're stupid or they just want to throw it in our face. But, um, you know. In general. Um, it saves lives. And in general, it has been a very positive thing. People I travel with more than anybody, uh, Santino and Brodus Clay.
0: Brodus uh, is a great dude.
1: Yes, Can I just say that's so badass that you had your own posse? Let alone I, I was like <laughs> counting earlier that you had you your ring names. You had, if I'm counting correctly, seven different ring I,
2: names. I never counted. I have no idea. I, well, I've, I just counted seven. I wish <laughs> I had seven <laughs>
1: names that I could pick for a man. That would be awesome.
2: <laughs> <laughs> just start hiding <laughs> in the dark. So yeah, it was uh, it was pretty cool. But um, no, it, it we were together. I mean, we would. We would leave our homes, you know, and Friday morning at 5 a.m. or wherever, because we were all coming from different places most of the time. Um, and we'll, well, Santino and I were living together. He would spend half his time in Toronto, half his time in Tampa. So, like, sometimes we would just see each other for weeks at a time. But Friday morning, we would get the car and we were together until Wednesday morning. When we, you know, we do Smackdown on Tuesday, Wednesday morning, we drop the rent a car off, see you guys later, and we would go home. And then Friday morning we were together again, and this was about two years solid of that. And I, you know, I, I travel with um, Eric Rowan, and, and I, I've had some other awesome travel buddies, but like that was my, you know, welcome to the road kid kind of thing. And it was mm-hmm. Santino and Brodus, and we were so regimented because um, we we like to work out, you know. So it's it's so busy when you have to drive 200 miles to the next town. You know, you want to get in, you get into a hotel, you check in, you pray to God for an early or I'm sorry, a late checkout so you can sleep till noon, which was a luxury sometimes one. Oh, great. But then mm-hmm. you got to get up, you get something to eat, you go to the gym, grab some food, go to the show, perform, get in the car, drive between 1 and 200 miles, maybe sometimes almost 300, right? Pray to God for a late checkout, sleep, repeat, repeat repeat.
1: I call we, it groundhog day, man. Yeah. Like we what did
2: not, we didn't have time to party on the road. We really didn't. Um, and cause again, we were just, we like to go to the gym. We like to do things. I mean, we've, now we had fun, you know, some of the best times are just driving in the car and, and whatever. And, and look, did Santino and I, did we throw a new year's party or two in Tampa? Yes, we did. And that, <laughs> that was very much like, again, regulated to like, oh, this is a special occasion. Right. Um, and it was at home, you know. Uh-huh. It, it, it wasn't like out and about. Um, so, yeah, a lot of it, man, you just you want to get your sleep. You want to just kind of do your thing. It, it wasn't the glamorous rock star lifestyle that you had. And, and also because I think the wellness program, which, again, kudos to WWE for that, for instituting that. Um, and and I, I do think it has saved lives. So that, that it, was... It, it,
1: That's what everybody thinks though. They think it's, they think it's just, you're living this, this dream life out there on the road and, and you're not, you're not, you're not suffering from anything because it's just the party and everything's given to you for free. You're just living this amazing life and blah, blah, blah. I'll never forget, man. I was, uh, we, uh, I was sitting right next to Diego actually, um, on, on, like towards the front of a plane in Spain. That the air conditioner went out and they were fixing something on the engine. Now, I don't know if I'm claustrophobic or not. Yeah. I would assume if you get me into a small enough space, I would be. But I'm strapped in with a seatbelt in this piece of shit plane in Spain trying to get to probably uh england or somewhere else in europe and and i'm sweating and i do not like to be hot man and so uh, and i'm strapped in and i can't do anything about it they, i mean we're on the tarmac man and they open the door of the plane to get air into it wow. and we're carrying the plane at the same time and we got to take off and go somewhere to say i was freaking out is is an understatement so
2: like, fun, it, fun fun fun
1: yeah, if everybody thinks it's just rainbows and unicorns and and dollar bills and hundred dollar bills floating around with champagne and shit, it's, it's not, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's the same yeah, the yeah, troubles yeah. and tribulations as everybody else does.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say, I'm I'm glad you brought this up because everybody, all they ever see is the spotlight, and right, you know, you're talking about being on the road. They and,
1: always see Superman.
0: Well, right, other- right, and you know, they they don't see the injuries you guys deal with and 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 stuff like that. Because you don't have time to rehab things because you're always on the road. Yeah. It's not like you can call in sick. <laughs> you know, it doesn't work yeah. that way. You know, Plus, so I mean, how can
1: you ha- how can you have an injury if the wrestling world is fake? Right. I mean, well, I was about to say that. Not to throw that out. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, because that's everybody's first argument. Well, it's scripted. Well, yeah, it's scripted. But these guys are still busting their ass Fucking and putting on a show.
2: Feet away. Yeah. Um,
0: you know, yeah. I, I've got to ask, what's what's the worst injury you've had that you've tried to deal uh, with on the road? Worst
2: injury I had, um, and this was at OVW, uh, cracked orbital socket. Ooh. Um, which, yeah, that wasn't fun, but you got over it. Everything's cool. Um, I, I've been very, very lucky, and I think that has to do with getting trained right uh, in terms of also learning ring psychology. Because if you know how to control people's emotions and make them feel something you don't have to do a million backflips off the top rope. Right. You know, that, that's my philosophy, and that's why I'm still walking and healthy to this day.
0: Well, just to circle back to to how you were feeling near the end of your WWE run, this this fits right into it. You're talking about being on the road, having a full time schedule, you know, being on the road three hundred days a year, traveling like mad, not you know, being exhausted, never getting any rest, and then mm. you're showing up to the arena and they're not using you.
2: Yeah, and and that was like the double-edged sword of um, just, again, what am I doing? I was internalizing everything, internalizing everything. And, um, you know, I've actually never disclosed this on an interview before, but I, I was at a point where I had such a low opinion of myself. You know, I had pushed people closest to me and was pushing them away, and it was not because I didn't love them. It was because I didn't think enough of myself. You know, it was like, I don't deserve anyone. I'm this, I'm that, I'm nothing. Because I had equated everything, every bit of my existence with who I was or how someone was treating me. Um, And that to me, you know, that's, I don't believe in regrets in life. Um, But I, I think if we don't learn from the times when we, have been less than what we could have been, or times when we just didn't know. Because sometimes, you know, you do the best you can given the circumstances that you have. And, you know, versus looking at things with regret, you know, we can be extremely remorseful if we've hurt people or pushed people away or just kind of, you know, been unavailable. But at the same time, you know, and it, and it took me years. It, it took me years to, you know, I, I hopped into acting and I walked away from wrestling completely. I, I just said, I can't deal with this anymore. It was such a bad taste in my mouth. Um, and, you know, that wasn't the best decision because there was I left no room for healing. You know, in terms of that, I, I don't want to call it a wound, but you couldn't. get You, that, you never found your closure. No, I did. And. You know, I was out in L.A., which I never thought I'd be, and I am so not a city boy. You know, as as I kind of learned to be better with myself, to forgive, um, you know, forgive myself, which was the hardest thing. And, um, you know, I, I've had some great opportunities, you know, some acting roles started coming up. Um, and then, you know, Billy Corgan, um, you know, the guy from the Smashing Pumpkins, <laughs> is, uh, who was a buddy of mine, you know, started his league. And I kind of, I, I went there and I, it was so strange, like how I started to get this closure, but at the same time, like reignite my love for what this truly is. And I've had so many great people start coming into my life. Um, I'm going to mention them. Uh, Father Tim has been amazing. Who um, also works with MVP and, you know, I, am really kind of becoming and I, and I am okay with who I am, but I'm learning to really kind of, to kind of dig who I am. And that was a hard thing for me. And, and again, I have never shared this with anybody, um, you know, even those closest to me. So, and, and I feel good about doing this because I'm confident enough in who I am to share this. And then that was, again, thank you guys for it. But, well, um thank, again, thank like, you I, for,
0: for being so open. I mean, that's... Yeah, I mean...
2: Damn. Yeah. And, and if I can encourage people, because look, for years, I was very much like I'm going to deal with this myself. Right. And, and and my thing is, you know, it's like the ostrich burying his head in the sand um, yeah. to where, again, like I say I push people closest to me away. Um, I moved to L.A., you know, and it, it was to pursue acting. But there was just I think there was a form of escape in that. And, you know, it, it's, you, you see these patterns and with me, like I just reached a point to where that's not who I am. And when I talked to other people, right. When I, um, you know, if it's a friend, if it's a therapist, whoever it is, right. I was just more talking friend to friend. Right. But that's, that doesn't, I mean, what is a therapist, but someone who listens to you. Right. So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying go one way or another. I'm saying, talk to someone. You know, like if people are going through things, whatever it is, right. And we all go, we all have our own stuff, but it takes to me, it took so much courage to talk to someone and, you know, I'm so glad I did because had I not talked to them, um, I would not be able to share this today. And if anyone, you know, is is having issues or problems, like it's okay, because trust me when, every fiber of my being was a pro wrestler. And when you go out there and the fans are telling you, you're doing your job, um, you know, and and you're one second away from being the world champion and realizing your dreams. And, you know, you obviously, we talked about my career, so we don't need to go into that. You know, that can weigh in on you. And, and especially if you're the type of person to not, and I'm not saying you should blame other people, right? Like always, you know, Hey, let's fix what's yeah. here first. But, Again, whatever the circumstances, it's okay to talk to people. It's okay. And, uh, you know, especially veterans where I've become so partial, um, you know, uh, in the recent weeks working with MVP and everything. Um, and, and, again, this is not me trying to promote them. I'm just letting you know from a very real perspective yeah, of course. about where I'm at. Yeah. Um, to be able to listen to their stories and, and talk to them and share with them. Uh, that is just such a, uh, it, it really is a blessing. And, and, I'm, you know, now it's like, I look and I, I see the blessings that I've had and, you know, some of them, I, I didn't, uh, take care of properly. And then I see other blessings, even in my worst times. And now it's like you get that perspective and you're like, wow, you know, at the end of the day, even with, with the way the world is right with, which is I mean, tough God, as hell the, right now the, with the Rona going the out, Rona um, the with the Rona. Uh, you know, again, with what's going on in, in terms of the social justice, um, you know, seeing here in America. I just think sometimes if we really take the time to be honest with ourselves, you know who we are, um, where we are to listen to other people, right and try to see where they're coming from um, and to just be a little more open to, to be a little more understanding. And, and you know one of the, the words people you you know be vulnerable, which I was like, no, I'm not going to be vulnerable. but you know what there is so much strength and vulnerability at the right time and under the right circumstances that I tell you what it, it can really, really change lives.
1: Not only that, um, that's, not, and that's a, coming
2: for me. And, and again, I've been never talked like this before, so I no, hope that helps.
1: I'm not going to I'm not going to um, for the sake of words, I'm not going to toot the show's horns, if you will, on horns. But this is what happens um, when people have been through tragedy and just crazy stuff in their life and they become enlightened at some point um vulnerability yeah absolutely it makes you realize some things i try to embrace humility in my life as much as i possibly can uh as a man i feel like that's that's something uh, it's a responsibility of me to do uh to always embrace humility accept it for what it is grow from it learn from it all that kind of stuff but it seems like every conversation we have that goes deep and honest and genuine um stuff like this happens And and it's just it's it's it comes out naturally when when people uh, who who obviously care about other people who obviously want to help anybody that they can, who obviously have been through rough times in their life and stuff like that. But this is kind of like the organic thing that happens on the show, which I'm so appreciative of, because like you, uh, I mean, I've talked I've talked at lengths with the stuff that would take me down. Um, before I actually got enough courage to go get uh, help and, and, and actually speak to someone to get better and to, to be a better person for my surroundings and my family and the people that are important to me. um, But I used to be, I used to, <laughs> it's, uh, I used to be scared of mirrors, man. So um, I, if I looked at a mirror and I connected with my eyes in the mirror and I just looked at myself, my whole day was ruined. So, I mean, it, it, as little and, 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 and stupid as, that sounds to other people, that was a huge downfall for me. Same Um, here.
2: Believe it or not, same here. Wow.
1: You're the only person I've ever, outside of someone who had like an eating disorder, which I totally have a ton of respect for, like, or someone that like, you know, uh, I guess work works out at the gym as hard as they possibly can. And they, and they just, they're never satisfied with the way they look outside of that kind of stuff. This was different for me. Like I could see into to my soul and I would just say not nice things to me. If I connected with the mirror, I've since beat that. I can, I can look in the mirror now and I'm very proud of that, That's awesome. Um, but it didn't happen overnight. I had to take that. I had to, I had to, I had to build the courage to talk to someone and and figure out what was going on to go to, 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 to overcome that. If you will, I still, I still battle it a little bit here and there, but, but just like you, man, like you're saying, like you've never talked about this openly, but this show has given me courage. It's given, it, it makes me proud to be able to talk about the things that I've gone through um, talk about the things that I would be in, insecure about, uh, for the most part, like medications and this, that and the other and my family and, and how shitty like I get treated and stuff like that. But the more transparent I am, the more open I am and genuine, the, the, the better I feel. And, yeah. you know, it's 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 honestly so therapeutic Um, and, and like, I mean, I've been through some times with this podcast, to be honest, where I've been in, you know, my, my home state of Oklahoma, burying my grandfather and Jerry respectfully, obviously he's like, Hey, let's skip this week. And I'm like, no, 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 dude. Don't take away my medicine. Mm -hmm. Don't take away my medicine. I want to do the show. I don't care if I sound like shit, like I want to do the show. So I did, I did it. a speaker speakerphone Skype right in front of my hotel and it was raining and cold as shit in in Oklahoma, but we did it and it felt good. So I get it, man. I get it. I get it. And it feels good to talk about because someone else on the other end, whether it's a veteran, whether it's a teenager, whether it's um, someone's mom, sister, brother, doesn't matter. Someone else can relate and they're going to go, damn, I'm not alone. And that's, that's all we can be thankful for when it comes to these kinds of conversations.
2: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And, and, you know, to, to echo what Brandon said, you know, that's something we kind of hang our hat on. And a lot of people may, you know, may take our podcast the wrong way and take it that, Oh, you guys are just sitting around bitching. It's like, no, it's not bitching. It's, you know, trying to connect with people. And, you know, the response we've gotten has been ridiculous. I mean, it's been more than I could have ever dreamed of yeah. people that have gone through yeah. similar things. And, you know, you, you were talking uh, about the whole self doubt thing and, that's a personally, I, I'm my own worst enemy. Like I have, n- I to this day, I have no idea how to find something positive in myself. How did you start overcoming that? What was your? We, we like to call them aha moments. Of okay, something's got to change. Oh, what what um, was your aha moment?
2: You know, I was where uh, you know I. <laughs> this is going to sound way way cooler than it is and it's going to sound pretentious but i'm going to say it so i live in malibu and i was on the beach one night and i'm just thinking to myself like you know and I, I i am i'm i'm spiritual i believe in uh, god and which has helped me tremendously to be quite frank um i don't you know whatever spiritual system you choose to follow. If you do choose to follow one, um, you know, if it has the golden rule in it, do unto others as you would have others do unto you. I think that's a good thing.
0: That's
1: common
2: sense. Yeah, you're yeah. right. And, um, I and wish, I, well, still, I wish, uh, I,
0: I wish more people lived by that, by the way, but
2: yeah. yeah. Concur. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and I was sitting there and I was praying and, I'm just saying, you know, why, how did I get here in my life? How did, this is terrible. Like what I had all this and it was gone. And, you know, 90% of it, I pushed away. Um, and then something just said, and it was like, you know, and and it's okay to cuss on the show, but I I said to myself, Hey, asshole, you're on a beach in Malibu. (laughs) 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 And it it was kind of like, yeah, okay. Um, that, that's true. And, and, you know, then I "Well, yeah, I, I am here. Like life ain't too bad. Um, you know, I'm not worried about where my next meal's coming from, I'm not worried about a place to stay. And, and there are people that are, and, and I think, you know, we need to help them and then they, we, we need to be more considerate. But in, in terms of my own narrative, I, I started just like looking at all the great things I've had and you know, look, I at the end of the day, I looked, because a, a big part of this was my WWE career and how I was treated there, but at the end of the day, I'm the same guy that when I I managed to get trained at 16 by Killer Kowalski, I was that one guy that they said, he, you know, Killer said yes to, and you said he was like this legendary trainer, and I made that happen, and then... I was the guy that got signed at a really young age and that I don't get nervous when I'm in front of 20,000 people in my underpants. You know, I'm the same guy that after I got let go by WWE, went and survived in one of the like you said, one of the harshest, craziest places in the world and not only survived, but thrived and stayed there until WWE called me back. I'm the guy that came up with intellectual savior. We, we, and, and again, there was people that helped me, so I'm not going to take all the credit for it. But I'm the guy that did that. I'm the guy that, when the office um, and other people in WWE do what they do and tried to cool me down, came up, wrestle the Invisible Man, and that turned into what it was. I'm the guy at Levi Stadium. I had. It was eighty three or 86 80 some thousand people chanting my name in unison. And and you know what? To tie this all in, that was the one moment where I had always envisioned my WrestleMania moment, winning the world title and yay and whatever. But at that moment on pay per view, I, I had this epiphany to where like if I never win the world title, this is the best it's ever going to get, no matter what, because the office didn't push me. I was. You know, I was the guy they were trying to cool down like they've done with so many other people. But this reaction I'm getting from these people, this is genuine. This was not supposed to happen. Everyone now is cheering for me because they want to. Like, I'm the guy that did that. And why the hell am I pushing people away? And why the hell am I looking at life from this perspective when it's really not like that? And I'm the guy now that's sitting, you know, on my ass in the beach. And I'm the guy that can get up and that can create whatever life I want, you know, based on how I choose to react to the world, how I choose to view myself and how I choose to, you know, treat other people and be kind. And and, and that's the thing, you know, in Hollywood, it's a it's quite a game. Right. And have I wanted to kiss a little more? backside. Have I wanted to play the game and do this? No, I am going to stay true to who I am. And one way or another, I will be able to look at myself in the mirror every morning because I, I am doing that. I haven't sold my soul. Um, and am I still a work in progress? Absolutely. But
1: we all are,
2: you know, I'm the guy that has done all these things that people would say, Oh, it's impossible. It's this, it's that it's really hard. No, no, and I, I had to give myself a little bit of credit. When I started giving myself just a little bit of credit, because, it, again, it, it was really, uh, I'd say it was a point of self-loathing. Um, and and that's, a, that's a strong word. But yeah. but it was true in my case. And I, I didn't share it with people that were closest to me. They, they really didn't know what was going on inside me. And, um, you know, again, wonderful people that I just... I couldn't open up to, and, and I felt I was protecting them and going away because I knew what a mess I was. But when I started giving myself a little bit of credit, um, that was my turning point. And, you know, Father Tim, um, who is, uh, again, a wonderful, wonderful man, he's a, uh, he's a priest out here and, again, works with MVP and just an amazing, amazing life, jo- joined the military at 50 years old as a chaplain. Uh, you know, went to a war zone with no gun. Has multiple PhDs. Extremely intelligent and an extremely kind man. He always says, "You know, be kind to yourself because you deserve it." And uh, and he's coming to my life very recently. Um, and this was again a little over a year ago that this all started happening. And again, giving myself that credit and saying I can do this, I can absolutely do this, um, was my turning point. And and look, sometimes, you know, I I get not everyone has had the luxury of performing in front of thousands of people receiving adulation while standing in their underpants. But, (laughs) you know, think about even if it's the fact that you've survived to this point, you have survived depression, right? And man, I know what it's like to be low. We all do right from from sitting here talking. We've all wrestled with different things, you know, not being able to look in a mirror or whatever, but, man, you survived. Like, veterans, you guys survived a war. Yeah. Right? Like, I, I couldn't imagine doing that. You know, give yourself a little bit of credit and be kind to yourself at the same time. So that, that to me, was that source of, uh, source of strength.
0: Wow. <laughs> that, oh. I, I, I was not expecting that. That was amazing and, and such incredible... Really was, like. <laughs> some, <laughs> some incredible words of wisdom from the intellectual, uh, what was it? The intellectual leader of the, <laughs> the masses, savior of the masses. <laughs> of
2: the masses. <laughs> yes. Wow. That,
0: you know what? That's truer than you may think, Mr. Stevens. Let me tell you. Thank um, you. Yeah.
2: <laughs>
0: I, I think we could sit here and talk all night. I don't want to keep you anymore. Um, thank you for opening up and, and sharing your story. I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people. Thank and, you for having me. And, you know, course, let's, yeah, let's let's definitely keep in touch. And, you know, we'll we'll talk more offline about the MVP thing, because I, I, awesome. I know we definitely want to get involved in that. But, um, you know, to, to to wrap it up, you you're in the NWA with Billy and I know mm-hmm. with the whole Corona thing, a lot of things are up in the air. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think you guys have anything scheduled right now. Do you? We don't. I would say, do you see that coming back at some point or? Oh,
2: I mean, you know what? Look, as we just live in such uh, uncertainty right now, but um, I I really feel that, you know, look, wrestling will come back. Um, you know, let's be safe. Let's be smart. And, um, you know, look, at the NWA, I, I will say this. I have gotten to work with um, some really, really cool people, uh, the question mark who is, an amazingly talented guy. Um, a
0: phenomenal gimmick, by the way.
2: Oh, thank you. <laughs> Working with uh, with Billy Corgan, which, again, that, that will never, because I, I consider Billy a friend. Um, it's just like he is such a, a fan of what this truly is. You know, that form of entertainment that it truly is. And it's like, you know, we, we discuss stuff. We go over stuff because he, he does, you know, all, all my segments. He, he produces the majority of them. Um, and creatively he's always been in control of me. Um, so it's just like, you, you do all the stuff and you're like, oh yeah. Like I used to listen to you when I was a kid, you know, and like you're, <laughs> yeah. you're at the gym and then butterfly wings comes on. It's like, oh yeah, it's Billy. Forget. I forget. I'm yeah. I mean, and,
0: and you're not trying to mark out yourself. Yeah, no, I, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And, and
2: like the first conversation I had with him was when I was an impact and like we talked about Piper and Adonis at WrestleMania three. That's awesome. And it was like, we walked away. I was like, Oh yeah, that was Billy Corgan. But, uh, but no, he's, he's such a, again, I, I put him in a, just a great human being and, and always believed in me. And, uh, you know, he was the only person that could have gotten me to put spandex on again. That's cool. So,
0: that's cool. That may
2: have sounded weird, but it wasn't really. You know, in, in the context, we get it. No, we, <laughs> we it. yeah,
0: we totally get it. Where can everybody find you on social media?
2: All right, on social media, uh, Twitter is Aaron's Thoughts. That's Aaron with one A, so A R O N S Thoughts, and on Instagram, the Aaron Files, T H E A R O N Files.
0: That's awesome. And uh, real quick, another cheap plug here. Um, One of the other podcasts on the Radio Influence Network that uh, I own and run, uh, Sitting Ringside with David Penzer. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've run into Dave at Impact. Um, He's actually going to have Aaron's boy Tyrus or Brodus Clay on his podcast this week. Uh, So by the time we're recording this on Friday evening, we're actually going to record with him on Monday Uh, so it'll come out but uh, you know for anyone interested in that um, he's going to be on David's podcast called Sitting Ringside so uh, make sure to check that out as well so uh, Aaron thank you so much I'm so glad we were able to connect uh, you know continued success with everything and if there's ever anything at all that uh, Brandon and I can do we're, we're a phone call away
2: absolutely thank you and you know what that goes two ways and thank you guys for having me Hey, thank you, Absolutely, brother, man. Thank that, you for the you time, it. man.
0: Yeah, that's going to do pleasure. it for. Yeah, that's going to do it for this week. Uh, guys, stay safe. Uh, don't do anything crazy. Uh, you know, wash your hands, wear your mask, that kind of crap. And uh, be kind, be kind and, and try to stay healthy. Uh, and until next week, he's Brandon Thompson. My name is Jerry P. Don't forget the hashtag. Get it out.
2: Radio Influence strives to bring you excellence in podcasting. We work with personalities like TV chef Brian Duffy,